The reading today is from 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 3, reading from verse 1. Now, for those of you that haven't heard the sermons in chapters 1 and 2, it's because they were preached in the evening service last year. So, we're at chapter 3, and we'll continue down through this wonderful letter. So, reading from verse 1, chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You should know that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter of the Spirit, but the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That is the word of the Lord. The question we're going to face this morning is, um, are we walking the talk? See, we're living in a world today where we see and hear much more of each other than maybe previous generations. We are aware of a broader awareness of the world at large. If someone said or did something this morning early, the chances are you will hear or read about it by midday, on the internet or on your mobile phones, or at least it'll be there by afternoon. So it all comes to you. And we react to all this. A prominent person may urge you to live, live a life that will be part of and solution to save the planet, so to speak. And then they jump, this person jumps on their little private jet and they fly home. And we, well, I guess we sort of, in our heart of hearts, we then to keep them, we call them hypocrites, or maybe even worse. This also affects how we live, and more importantly, how we are perceived and known by other people. It is our behavior that speaks much louder than what we actually say to them. We are seen and heard, even if we don't think we are seen or heard. Our lives are indeed a statement of who we are. Let us pray, let us receive this teaching of Paul and let it sink into our hearts. Our loving Father, we come to you to ask that you will guide us through this passage. May the words we have here be words that will help us to grow, help us to understand what we need to do to change, that we may live as I have prayed earlier, Lord, that we may live a life better tomorrow than we did yesterday. Guide us and strengthen us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1. We are, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? 
Paul is here referring to a situation where someone has cast doubt about his behavior and his teaching. And he is now in turn questioning their attitudes and even their understanding. He simply questions if he's required to have the testimony of a bunch of people that are having trouble believing the word of God for him to be accepted and recognized as a true apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul isn't really saying that he agrees with them. He is, after all, he is a person appointed by Christ face to face at Damascus. He knows that. And he has lived a life to prove that. And as he claims in 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considers me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. He knows it's not his doing. He knows it is all Christ's doing. On the contrary, Paul is then telling them to look at the evidence, look at the life he and Timothy and Titus had lived before them in these different churches, particularly in the Corinthian church, and let, and let the lives they've led, let them be the witness to the greatness of God. See, everyone should know and understand that for a minister to be useful, as well as being spiritually able to influence, he should not need to commend himself. Or depend on the second-hand testimony of others. Basically, his life ought to be self-evident. Evidence of a life lived for Christ, through Christ, by Christ. And Paul's confidence is not unwarranted here. But he is also aware of the fact that his confidence is not in himself. But it is all in his Lord and Saviour, and that is right through Christ, that he can do all the things he has done. He has done them purely in the strength of Christ. In Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. His awareness was so high of his inability to do things in his own strength, but he did them in the strength of Christ. An interesting thought on this issue is something we can all agree on. We know and trust that, of course, every page and every chapter and every verse that is written in the Bible is indeed also agreeing with every other page that we read. There is nothing in the Bible that contradicts itself. And if we are to be a witness for Christ, as the Bible is a witness for Christ, then also our lives and our talk and our walk needs to be in agreement as well. If I tell you to live your life in a certain way because the Bible says so, and you see me living a different life, then I think my message gets lost somewhere. This is, in essence, what Paul's referred to here in this particular part of it. But more than that, in verse 2, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. On the face of it, it's a strange claim that Paul makes here. When you first read it, you're going, really? He's writing a letter to the Corinthian church, and he says that this is a letter, they are the statement. 
He is without a doubt the church that had caused Paul more distress, more trouble than any other church that he planted. And yet he writes such glowing words about them. This is a time when we need to possibly read between the lines as it is. The city of Corinth, churches from as far as Rome and Jerusalem had heard about the church in Corinth. And what they have all heard was this wonderful news that we just all, we live and love to hear. Some good news. There were people in Corinth that had been saved, had responded to Jesus, had heard the truth and believed, and Paul and Titus had told them. That's good news. That's wonderful news. I mean, that's like going out into the world saying, go to Woodford Church. There you will find people that have heard the Lord Jesus, the words that I believed. That's good news. That was the witness Paul's referring to here. That witness. He had given them the gospel truth and the Spirit had worked the miracles in them. And what has happened in them was indeed a miracle. It's almost what we read about in Psalm 51 when David wrote this psalm. He said he, he, it was just after he had, had Nathan, the prophet Nathan, had opened his eyes to the fact that he was a, a sinner, that he had sinned gravely against the Lord with his treatment of both Bathsheba also the husband Uriah. In the first nine verses in 51... He acknowledges his sinfulness. He spent nine verses talking about his sinfulness and then he goes to verse 10 and 11 and asks God for a favor. He has just admitted to all his mistakes and now he wants a favor from God. In fact, much more than a favor. In verse 10 in 51 he wrote, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Great words. David is asking God for a miracle. He is using the same word for create as Moses used in Genesis about creation. That is creating something out of nothing, which creation was. It is a removing of a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh that was not there. It's not natural. It does require a miracle. God the Father and the Christ the Son had by this sign and witness approved the ministry of Paul. And when Paul writes known and read by everyone... He may well have referred to the fact that he wrote these letters to and about the church and his people in Corinth. Well, what was their problem then? There was many problems. Non-believers had infiltrated this church in Corinth. Started so well, but they infiltrated. False prophets confused them. Old habits had lingered and polluted them and grown again. Indeed, we can ask, are there any perfect churches out there? Well, no, there isn't. So what's the big deal? If there's non-perfect churches, then all the same. Well, we're all in a period of learning, and some of us, we learn a little slower than others. 
but it will come to be in God's timing. He will give you full and complete understanding, and we will know. In verse 3, he says, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. These are people around who will use this verse to argument and say, that's what the Bible is. It's just some tablet, some paper with writing on it, some ink on a piece of paper. And Paul, they say, has just belittled it. Therefore, they call him a false prophet. No, that's not what Paul's saying at all. At all. Paul's referring to the fact that the false prophets had to write their own commendations, write out the things they claimed to have done, due to the fact that there were no other witnesses, no visual evidence, there was nothing really in their lives to support the claims they had put out. However, when the Holy Spirit and God's Word come together, we see the living witness spring forth, believing people that have had their lives changed, but have had their lives changed from within. Interestingly, with Jesus in John 2.25, he says, I did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew that what was in, in, what was in each person. See, he knew our hearts. He knew what was right inside of us. He was speaking of just the problem we are facing here with the Corinthian church, of a man commending himself and others, whereas when we are commended by God, no less, all of this becomes a living witness also, we know that as the fruits of the Spirit. That is, you have to have the Spirit of God in you to be able to change the way we should. We have seen from time to time, we've seen people confess the Lord to be their, uh, theirs, and they are baptized sometimes as well. It is after that event their claim of having been converted, their claim of their baptism, the claim of having God, that we stand back and we wait and we watch. We wait and watch the changes that are supposed to come beyond that point. If they truly understand what they've committed to, then they will change. And that is also a miracle. Well, the miracles in Corinth had happened and there was living proof of it in Corinth. And when we as churches, we see these wonderful and magic miracles that happen and changes, we too rejoice and gain confidence that our ministry has also been blessed. And when I say our ministry, it is all of our ministry here. We are a congregation that witness to the greatness of the Lord when people come to visit with us or when we go and see our neighbours. It's also all done of course, through the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 tells us, Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as minister of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So when Paul writes, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of the human heart, we can cast our minds back a bit. We can go back to Ezekiel in the Old Testament. In chapter 36 he wrote, 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Old Testament. But we can also go further back even and look at what Moses wrote back in way back in Exodus. Chapter 31. When the Lord speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. That's what was written, which shows us our sinfulness. And again in Proverbs, let the love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them together around your neck and with them on the tablets of your heart. And finally in Hebrews we have, this is the covenant. I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. He has given them to every human being. We also know this is our conscience. We know when we do something wrong. It is in us. God writes on tablets of stone what will condemn man of his sins. But he will write them on his heart to change him and save him. That's what's happened. That, that is a miracle. And Paul says, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. But those tablets must not be stoned. They must obviously be tablets of flesh, a place where love and mercy may dwell. When we have such a heart, we then also become humble and we become dependent on God's power. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence then is coming from God through his Holy Spirit. When Paul states this, he is also well qualified, of course, we know, to make that statement because he knows it. He had been given an outstanding education as a Pharisee, as a young man. He had been said that he was at the time of 21 years old, he would have earned equivalent to two advanced academic degrees. He was an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin and was raised as a Pharisee. He studied in Jerusalem under Rabbi Gamaliel, one of the leading Jewish thinkers of the time. He was right up there with the top of them. And as the godly Scottish pastor McChaney once said to a young minister, it is not great talents that God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. Paul knew his high education had not been what Jesus had called upon, but his servant heart. Because even in his bad days, Paul served as he best knew how. He did it because he loved God truly with his whole heart. Paul had some bad days and he freely admitted this in 1 Timothy. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor as a violent man, I was shown mercy because I had acted in ignorance and unbelief. During his bad days prior to Damascus, Paul had wanted nothing more than to serve the Lord of Abraham with his whole of life. He was a man of God, right from the word. And God knows what it is in a man's heart. There's not a lot in this passage that points to the life of a minister must live, and so he should be. We are being told that you have to live the way you speak. Let us not, however, skip over and miss the message here for the church in Corinth, or the message, for that matter, for the church in Woodford. 
Paul must preach and he must teach the truth. As ministers today also must at all times, but the people receiving the proper teaching must also grab hold of that truth and all of it and apply it richly to their lives. You can't just hear it, drop it and walk away from it. Ministers are also to be a living witness for Christ. And so shall all people. Everyone that is called by Christ should also and must be a living witness to him when you consider what he had to do for you. Paul is in effect telling them, he says, be like me. He says that because that is what he wants them. He wants them all to be dearly like Jesus. And he says, I will live my life as best as I can. And my confidence in my doing so lies in the fact that Jesus is the one that called me. Nothing that I had done. See, I have nothing in myself to make this happen. But I live in the strength of God's power. What each of us need to ponder is this. Has a miracle of conversion. The exchange of the stone of heart of stone with the heart of flesh. Has that miracle and am I living as a witness for Christ because of it the question we started with was does my walk match my talk that's what we all need to ponder and may indeed his Holy Spirit guide us each and every day and keep us honest let's pray our loving and gracious father some of these things are always going to be tough for us. It points out where we may be lacking. It points out clearly what we need to change. But we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit's guiding will indeed stir us to change, stir us to live better lives. And may we indeed encourage each other and help each other as we love each other as brothers and sisters. And may this all be done in the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. We have a last song. The Lord is my salvation. So let us stand and sing.